0: This morning we're going to be in Psalm 27 and 28, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. I have a reminder about Calvary merch, your t-shirts and sweatshirts and stuff. We have merch in it. What's up, man? Merch. It says, must include payment with order, which I didn't read and I didn't pay either. So, um, get your money ready, because today's the last day for that. And if you have any questions, you can contact Amanda Thrower, and her phone number is on the form. So May 11th, so we've got some time. What is today? <laughs> you don't have any time at all. <laughs> You're out of luck. All right. Do we need to go through everything, or are we pretty much just garage sale right now? Kathy writes... Uh, Memorial will be this Friday. I know some were asking about that. Um, At 4 o'clock is the visitation, 4 to 5, and then 5 to 6 will be the actual service. It'll be here at the church. Um, And then Richard, his is going to be, Richard Seibert's will be at Bram Funeral Home. Uh, That's at 4 o'clock on Saturday. So that's there. Kathy's is here. So um, just so you know, we'll put that in in our email this week so you guys can kind of be reminded of that and be praying for those that are going through that grief and that mourning process right now. Um, Not fun at all, Um, especially for the Cybert's. I know you don't want me to make too much of a deal out of it, but Beth took care of Kathy for, what, five years now almost? And Dwayne's been taking care of his brother Richard for um, 20-plus years and uh, hit them both in the same week. So be praying for the Cybert's, and my prayers are with you. That's a hard, hard week. Hmm. Psalm 27. David is full. Um, I guess that's what I got out of this uh, for the most part. Um, We know that David was a man after God's own heart. We understand that. And when David writes this psalm, which we get a lot of songs from, wonderful songs from, um, there's two specifically in in verse 4 and verse 14. Those are two of our Songs that I can think of. Anyway, I'm sure there's more, but those are the two that come to mind. Um, David understands where his help comes from. He understands where his fullness comes from. He's content with the Lord. He understands where to go um, for help in time of need. And so as he writes this psalm, it's a very celebratory one. It's a very, a lot of praise. Thank you, God, for what you've done. Um, But it's also, it's to teach us. These things—it's to bring us to that place in our lives where do we find our fulfillment? Are we are we full with God? Is He enough? You know, um, it, you know. Several times in Scripture it tells us that all the fullness is in Christ, all of it, and we and we've been given all of that. And it's whether we take the opportunity or not is up to us. But He is—he's our strength, He's our fortress, He's our help in time of need, He's our teacher, He's our guide, He's our wonderful counselor. You know. All these things that God is to us, he's, our, he's everything. And so David talks about that and, and nails it down to, and, and I love this because I love to boil things down to the least common denominator, I love that. And this one thing, David says, this one thing I desire, that's it, and that's to dwell in the house of the Lord. That's all I want because he knows that's where he gets everything from, you know? Um, that's his source. Verse one, um, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life; of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this in this I will be confident. In these first three verses, I'm reminded of David's first kill. I was thinking of Goliath when that's his first human being, you know, that he ever killed. He killed a lot. Um, but Goliath was his first because when he comes against Goliath, he says, I, you, know, I've, you know, or when he talks to Saul and when he talks to everybody, I've killed lions, I've killed bears, I've taken care of sheep. This is the first person, you know, um, and David is different after this. And after that moment, carries the head of Goliath around with him wherever he goes, you know, Um, And I don't think that was because he had post-traumatic stress at all, at at all. It was out of pride. David knew who who his enemies were and who God's enemies were, and he knew his assignment. He just understood that. The Philistines were problems, and they had standing orders against these people. And so when David did that with Goliath, when he fought Goliath, there was no hesitation for him. He understood it. And there was a a boldness that comes comes across David's heart, his mind, his soul, and everything within him because he understands this is my enemy. Um, When David becomes king, though, he runs into a whole new fresh camp full of enemies that he probably never thought they'd be coming from his side. He understood the Philistines. He understood that battle, that war. And he, he talks about that in these first three verses. Yeah, the Philistines. But the, from these other Psalms that we've been reading, he talks about the people from within. The people that are supposed to be on his side, in his court, in his kingdom, people that are Israeli. And that's the toughest one for him. That's where he cries out. He's like, well, you know, where do these where do these enemies come from? And why are they coming from within? Even Paul when he writes in the New Testament, warns the church about that. We understand the enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil. He says, after my departure, savage wolves will come from outside, but also rise up from within. And to be ready for that as he gives that encouragement, but also that warning to watch for that. David's enemies from within were all from jealousy, just flat out jealousy. That's all it was. Um, Saul was not happy with the fact that David killed Goliath, even though he was very happy that someone went out to fight him. He wasn't happy with the result and the popularity and fame that came with that from all the people that were so thankful that they had somebody who was willing to stand in the gap, willing to do this. And that's when Saul's heart changed. And Saul spends much of his career, end of his career, chasing David down. David didn't do anything but serve as king. And so... It's a tough place. And so David is having for the first time to deal with these things they he didn't think he'd ever have to deal with. It's a hard place to be. All of us have these problems. You see it a lot. The world doesn't know how to handle these things. And so David, as a king, as a leader, as he's gone through these things personally, is trying to explain to the people who would sing this song or read this psalm, um, this is what you do with these things. Because with the Philistines, you usually go to your friends, your comrades in arms right next to you, but sometimes they're not on your team. They're not on your side. As soon as you turn your back, well, you know, watch it kind of thing. They're ready to pounce on it. David says, that's not where my strength comes from. That's not where my light comes from. That's not where my fullness or my contentment comes from. It comes from the Lord. It comes from the Lord. I think we as human beings can bear one another's burdens to an extent, I think we can help each other out in times of need. I think we can be there for each other and should be there for us, but not always. And so what do you do in those not always situations? You you need to know where to go and where to get this source from. Where is the source of your joy? Where's the source of your light? Whom shall I fear? David knows I've got God on my side. He's the light of my salvation. He's my strength. I'm not afraid of anybody, no matter who it is, Philistines or Israeli. Even though they come against me, I know that God will take care of me. David never looked for the role of being king. I mean, you couldn't put yourself more out of the candidacy than David did to be king of Israel, just sat out in the field watching sheep. Even when the prophet came to anoint the next king because Saul blew it, David wasn't even in the house. They had to go find him because he was out taking care of the sheep to see if one of the other brothers was the, the new anointed one, you know? And we, we see that, not a problem, but it is. We see that with Moses. Um, we see that with Noah. We see that with Abraham. We see that with any of the disciples. We see that with Paul. We see that with anybody that God wants to use any believer that's ever given themselves over to the Lord completely, they all run into these same problems. And so David writes this Psalm to help us and walk us through where our well is. A well, like you pull water up out of a well. Where's your well? You know, is it the Lord? Do you come to his word? Do you come to him in prayer? Is that where you find your strength? Is that what you're thirsty for? Is that what satisfies you? You know? For David, it was, and he knows that that's the way it has to be for us as well. It has to be, and so he writes this verse four, which I have circled, underlined, and you know, it's practically black in my Bible, completely from ink. One thing I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. That was that was David's home base. That was his retreat. That was where he spent most of his time. That's where he got his solace, his refreshment, his strength. It was in the temple of the Lord. We don't necessarily have that anymore. We have the building here, and we try to keep it open as much as possible. Everybody feels the responsibility when they leave this place to lock it up because they don't want anything stolen on their watch, you know. So they lock it up, and so I'm always unlocking it, and I got to put a sign on the door, leave it open, you know, kind of thing. I, I'm not mad. I appreciate their care, and they're responsible, you know, for keeping the place locked up. But we try to keep it open as much as we can in the daytime because sometimes it's a nice place to be, have some quiet. To sit in here and to read, and you'll probably get interrupted, or someone will stick their head in and say, "Oh, sorry, you know, I didn't know you were in here, or whatever." And that that happens. But this is a place where it, it isn't a temple; it isn't the tabernacle. Don't get me wrong. I know that the church is the people, but as it, it is to be a quiet place for people to maybe spend time with Him. You know, that's why we come here. The church comes to this building to find, well, fellowship. Um, Communion together. David loved to be in the house of the Lord, loved it. David knows of all people, he knows that God is with him wherever he goes, whether that's on a battlefield with Goliath or out with sheep or in the temple, God is always with him. He never misunderstood that. He didn't find God in a location. He knows that. And yet going to the temple, there was just something about that. It was God's place. God had assigned it. This is where I meet you. You know, this is where I meet you. So David boils it down to the one thing, one thing I desire. That's what I want. And I find maybe for David, the battle was this distractions maybe from the one thing. Um, but the one thing that's on my heart above and beyond everything else is to spend time with the Lord, to inquire of him, to, to, to just behold his beauty. Sometimes it's not even to ask him for stuff. I just want to look at him. I just want to spend time with him. There's a peace that comes over me, you know, um, with all the mourning that's been going on this year. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of people have passed um, and there's a lot of people grieving and still going through things that they, you know, and it comes over in waves, you know, and I, you can't help but think of the people that you've lost in your life, you know, as you you try to think about them and pray for them and minister to them and what's the best way and how do you do it and how did you want it? And I'm different than everybody else, I think, or there's just groups of people that deal with things differently. When my mom died, we didn't have a funeral. We just we just stayed at home with my dad and my sister and we sat around and talked with, you know, about her and that was it. No funeral, no nothing. It was just how we did things. Um, but there are moments when that comes across and comes over you, you know, you're like, Oh yeah, my mom, she's dead. You know, you think about it a little bit. And then you let it go, and then it comes across you again in another moment. Oh, yeah, my mom, that's right, she's dead. She's dead. And you, you, you walk through that, you know, in your heart. You work through that again and again and again. It doesn't ever stop. It doesn't seem like, that's right, they're gone. They're, I mean, I'm going to see them again. Yes, I know all the verses, and I know all the things that I've been told, and I know what I teach and tell people, you know. But she ain't here now, you know. She's gone. On Mother's Day, you think about that. I was going to say, "There's no one to say Happy Mother's Day to. She's in heaven. She's dead." Hmm." And that's how I deal with it. I just, I actually have to say that to myself. She's dead. You know, not everybody wants to do that. And so I go to the Lord. This morning, God woke me up at three. Thank you. (laughs) I don't need sleep. But I know better than to try to go back to sleep. I laid there for 30 minutes and I just oh, he's got me up. I'm up. there we go. And I knew it was time to pray and to spend time with him. I knew that I would have to be prepared for the today for some reason, beyond the the usual. And so I spent time with him and in, in my bed praying and talking with him and working things out and going through all the people in my mind that are suffering and going, you know, you, you walk through those things and you pray, and there's there's peace there, but I can't find any place else. I can't go. I can't get up and turn on a television show and find peace to distract me from whatever it is I'm thinking about. Some people try to do that. If you're one of those people, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Um, I've learned, like David has, that when I'm awake or when I'm troubled about something, putting it out of my mind only, only postpones the inevitable. So I got to work it out with God. You sit there and you pray and you work things out with him and let him minister to you. Be quiet once in a while and let him talk to you and come over you. That's what David's talking about here in verse four. I desire one thing. It's the only place I can find peace. It's the only place I can find comfort. It's the only place I can be satisfied to behold his beauty Verse 5 follows up with, it goes right along with verse 4 For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle. He shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. It's a funny thing to say. It's childlike. It really is. Hide me, God. I want to hide right now. I experienced that a lot. And you think, quit being such a weenie, you know? Don't be a weenie. No, I just want to go hide. Where can I go hide, you know? you I literally think that sometimes. It's like, I just want a hiding place, you know? Like a child. But it's not. That instinct that you have as a kid to go hide or to find, you know, to, to be alone, to to whatever it is that you're escaping or whatever... God says, I will hide you. He offers that up to us as men and as women, full-grown adults that know better than to be weenies. Come and hide with me. I know what you're talking about. I understand what you're trying to, to get at. I understand what you're seeking, what you're lacking, what you can't find if you're not hidden. Come and hide. Come to me. And David is a king, and the warrior of warriors means someone who has his act together with the Lord says, this is why I inquire of the Lord. This is why I go to his temple for in that time of trouble, he'll hide me. I find safety there. There's peace. There's refuge. There is a time to just gather your thoughts and to gather your feelings and to get everything together. Because if it's a constant barrage against you, you don't, you don't have time. You know, you're just in constant mode all the time. David says, I need to get away. I need to get into that place and hide for a while. There's a secret place in this tabernacle. And he sets me upon a high rock, you know. Doesn't hide me in a cave, doesn't put me in a, a dark place. He sets me high, high, high up on the rock. And that gives you a great perspective up there, you know. I remember reading a children's book. Someone read it to me about um, some hippopotamus. You know, you'll have to listen to the story and the you're stuck, you can't leave. Um, but I'll always remember this book, they said, or a rhino or a hippo, one of those two animals. I can't remember which, probably a hippo because that's more gentle and tender or whatever. It's a children's book. But um, they were playing hide and seek and he went on top of the hill and since a hippo cannot raise their head up, nobody could ever find him. He was up and he could look down on everybody and see everything that's going on. And nobody could find the hippopotamus because he was up high because they couldn't lift their head up. Now, the only reason I bring that up is because he had such a great perspective from up there. He could see everything, what everybody was looking, where everybody's going. For the first time, he was going to win the hide and seek contest, you know. But what 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 an interesting thing in the sense that, God says, I know you can't look up like you need to. I'm going to put you up on the high rock. I'm going to put you up in a high place. Jesus being a rock, of course, and David is foreshadowing and there's prophecy involved here and all. But for the basic understanding of the text, I'm putting you on top of this mountain so that you can get a better perspective of the whole situation up with me. And you can spend time and examine everything that's going on. It's a, It's interesting. It's very helpful. And David knows that. In, um, I've got a couple of them here that talk about God's fulfillment. In Luke chapter 11, verse 36. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light, as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. When, when you come to this place in verse 4, where you are in the presence of the Lord and he is ministering to you, and you allow him to come into all those dark places, especially during grief and mourning, you're filled with light, and that's what has to happen. Now, not everybody likes that. There's there's some comfort in the dark. I understand that. It's a, it's a safer place sometimes. But to force yourself into that place where God can give you light in those areas and let him come in and do that, you become a beacon for other people. You become the lamp. That light shines from you, Um that's why when we sang that song, I was just thinking about that before we sang the song. We have a high, he's acquainted with our grief. We have a high priest. We have a, a Savior who's acquainted with our grief. And because he's acquainted with it, he's able to minister to us there. He doesn't look down upon pause and say, I don't know what you're going through, but I'm sure it'll be fine. You know, He's acquainted with what you're going through. And so he's able to minister to you and me. And that's what he does. And David knows that. He says, so let that light come in so that you can also be ministered to by the Lord. That's the light coming in, but you can also minister to other people then. You can be that blessing. I understand now. I don't know how to minister to that person. I don't know what grief feels like. I don't know what, and then it happens to you. Oh, shouldn't have ever said that to them. You know, now I know what I should have said. Now I'm. Now I have wisdom because now I've experienced it, you know. And I'm able to do that. Now, I don't wish that on anybody. But in order for me to be beneficial to anybody else, or any of us to be beneficial to anybody else, we have to go through these things, you know, so that we can be a blessing. John 15, 11, same book, 14 chapters later. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. He's talking about leaving them, talking about dying, talking about resurrecting, talking about heaven and all these things. And these guys are, they're baffled, you know. He says, no, I'm telling you these things that your joy may remain in you. I want you to be joyful, full of it, full of joy. Acts chapter 2, 28. You have made known to me the ways ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Full of joy. John 7, same book. In between 1 and 14, he who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You gotta, that's the Holy Spirit. You've you've gotta let him in. You've got to let God come into your life during these tough times, during these difficult places, so that rivers can come from you. We're not just a a cup. We're likened to a cup a couple times in Scripture where we're full and overflowing and things like that. But when a person, a believer, is filled with the Holy Spirit and and he dwells with you and in you, out of you flows rivers of living water to those around you. It's a must. And so David is simply trying to let a river flow out through these Psalms to the people around. Please read this. Please sing this. Please understand this, you know. Because I've experienced it. I'm acquainted with the things you're going through. I've had enemies all around. But here's what God will do. Verse 6. And now, because I went to the house of the Lord, because I've allowed him to minister to me, because I've had one thing in mind, and that's to seek the Lord. Now, my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his temper, in His tabernacle. I will sing, yes, and will sing praises to the Lord, chooses to, chooses to sing, so content, so full, he has to sing praises to the Lord because of what he's just experienced with God. It's a beautiful thing. I know sometimes it's a struggle to sing because you're in the middle of this, you know. But David, on the other side of these things, as these things come to pass in his life, and they will come to pass in your life, you'll be able to sing for joy also because of what he's done for you. You carried me through. Verse seven. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. I don't know why he says all that. He's got something personal. There's some guilt there a little bit. I don't think he's just saying it to be flowery or to be, you know, false humility. You know, please, God, don't hide your face from me. I don't know why you would, but don't hide your face. from me. I don't think it's like that. I think it's honest. Don't, don't hide your face from me. You said to seek your face. That's what I'm doing now. Follow through. He's being honest. I want you to follow through. You said seek it, and I said yes. That's a really important verse, that verse 8. See, sometimes I'll read in God's word his advice. That's how I take it, his advice for me. And I can't figure out how it would work in my situation. So I, I, I read it as a take it or leave it option. It's not. It's a command. If I read God's word as commands, if you're in this situation, this is what you do. I don't get to evaluate it and sit back and say, I can see how that would work for some people, but I don't think that's for me necessarily. But thanks anyway. David's response is proper and correct, and it should, it should teach us. When you say, seek my face, my heart says, your face, Lord, I will seek. I don't really feel like it. Do it anyway. We sang a song here this morning, I choose to worship you. It is a choice. We're commanded to, we've been made to do that. We actually have scripture that tells us you were made to worship God. And some people debate that. I don't know if I really feel like worshiping, but you were made for that. I know, but I don't know if I want to today, but you were made for that. My response should be, and sometimes it's a choice, just I choose to do that. I don't feel like it, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going, to, I'm going to worship you. And so David says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to seek your face just like you asked me to. Now, don't turn your face from me. He's not going to. But David is poetic and wants him to know, do not turn your servant away in anger. Why would God be angry with David? Something. I think everybody feels that sometimes. It's like, I want to pray to the Lord, but I need to get some things worked out first. You know, I want to worship God. I do. I want to sing, but I got some things I need to get straightened out first. I would love to be born again. I want to be baptized. I want to come to the Lord, but I've got some things I want to work out first, but I'm coming. I am coming, but not till I get these things dealt with. And God has never asked us to do that. In all of Scripture, you'll you'll never see him say to the person who wants to come to him, hold on, hold on a minute. You're awfully dirty. Would you mind getting cleaned up? Would you mind taking a bath first? He's the one that reaches out for the lepers. He's the one that reaches out to those that are blind and can't help themselves. They can't fix those things. They're deaf. They can't hear. They can't speak. They're sick. They have an issue of blood. All these things that God, they're dead. He raises people up. Never calls us to, never qualifies these things. And so David, don't be angry with me. So what if he is? Get get in there. You know? Don't hide from dad when he's mad at you. Let's get in there. Let's get this worked out now. I don't want broken fellowship with him anymore. Let's get in there. Say whatever you have to say, dad. Do whatever you have to do, dad. Your love for me and my love for you is way stronger than whatever anger there might be against us. You know, So here I am. Don't be angry. I'm here to seek your face. Don't hide yourself from me. When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen up against me, and such as breathe out violence. These are people supposed to be on his side. These are the enemies from within he's talking about here. He starts off with his parents. It's a tough place to start. But to be able to continue on being king, to continue to be the leader you need to be, to be the man of God you're called to be, regardless of whether your parents are on your team or not. That's a big deal. David truly fulfills that scripture that people have such a hard time with in the New Testament where Jesus says, if you love mother or father or brother or sister more than me, you're not worthy of me. And everybody's like, well, wait, does he want me to hate them? No, what he's saying is if they're against me, and you choose them over me, you're not worthy of me. You need to be on my team. And if they're against me, they're against me. But that means they're against you too because you're on my team. That needs to be a choice that we make, you know. And unfortunately, so many kids in this world have to make that choice. They come to know the Lord. Their parents are not interested in the Lord. And they've got a choice. Honor father and mother or follow Jesus. That, that's what they think their choice is. Well, We have a father in heaven that needs to be honored. Let's put it that way. And honor him first. And you can still honor your parents. You can still do that. But not if it's not if they're asking you to sin against God. No, not gonna do it. You saying no to your parents, asking you to sin is not sin. That's okay. And so David says, flat out, singing this song out loud to Israel so Israel can sing with him. When my father and mother forsake me then the lord will take care of me he always watches out for me he's a father that never leaves he's a father that always follows through i want a smooth path because of my enemies just give me a smooth path I'm not so rocky verse 13 love this one this one ministers a lot i would i would have lost heart david says unless i had believed that the that i would see the goodness of the lord in the land of the living I had to work this out with Jenny this morning a little bit, because I took it this way, and I think, I think it's right. And you may disagree, and that's okay. Take it with a grain of salt. But um, I'm all for, and I believe with all of my heart and teach, I'll start off with that, it's a lot of qualifiers, um, that our hope is heaven, that our hope is salvation, that our hope is not in this world. Got it. But... I think David is saying, I would have lost heart if that's all there was. Not that that's not enough. Unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, some fruit, you know? And so as I was working this out, I'm like, I think that's a dangerous thing to say, you know? Because not everybody... Am I going to stand up here and teach today, so live a life of mourning, sorrow, and loss... You'll be better for it. And Jenny says, no, I think what he means is I had to see it. It's there. I just have to see it. Because if I focus too much on what I just talked about, people with schemes and adversaries and enemies and the battles that I'm going through and the breathing of violence and all these things I just talked about, and I don't look around and see the beauty that God is doing and the work that he's doing, there's hope. There's hope. It'll cause you to lose heart if you don't see what God is doing. There's a lot of things that aren't happening the way you'd like them to, but there's a ton of things that are happening the way God wants. And to focus on those things, you can't worry and let the enemy have full reign over your life. You've got to look at, look, you guys, stab me in the back all you want. I've got to focus on the beauty that God is doing here. It's amazing. It's good to have a wife that knows the Lord. (laughs) Helps. Verse 14, wait on the Lord and be of good courage. And he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. That's another song. It's more of a doxology, and it's it's done a cappella normally, and I won't I won't make you suffer through my singing of it, but waiting on the Lord, David says, wait on him. Be of good courage. It takes courage to wait. It takes courage to persevere, to endure all the things he asks. It takes courage to do that. And he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Exclamation point. You can't get away from it. You just have to wait for it sometimes. It isn't immediate. It doesn't come away. He doesn't just take away feelings. He doesn't just make things better. Sometimes there's a process that goes on. Just wait. You have good courage. He'll strengthen your heart. He will wait we don't have enough time to get through 28. I thought we would. I'm sorry. But that was a lot today. Good stuff. David is trying to help everyone, including us this morning. Thousands of years after this is written, this helps us today with what we're going through. It's not old school, old knowledge for them. It's for us today. Read it as a command. I mean, you don't want to take it as a command, but read it as a, this is a must. This is a must do. And of course, you're here and preaching to the choir in a sense. You you chose this morning to come into the house of the Lord. I know that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit and, and, and all that. I don't want to qualify all the time, but we've chosen to come together like he's commanded to us, commanded us. Acts 2.42, fellowship, breaking of bread, in prayers, you know, um, all that. We've chosen to do that and come here, and I, I hope that God ministers to you, it, Helps you, um, strengthens you, gives you the courage, hides you if you need it, you know. But you'll find that peace in your heart that, you, that he that only he can give. And so we're going to have communion now. As um, the guys are going to hand out the, the bread and the juice here. Um, it's a perfect time for this. The cross reference that I gave that, you know, he talks about... Um, these things I have spoken to you, that your joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full, is also the reason He gave us communion to be reminded of His goodness, to be reminded of what's happened to us. Thank you, man. Um, he's given us this little. It's a ceremony. It's a. It's a tradition. It's a command. It's. There's a lot going on here, but He does this because this is for our betterment. This is for us to remember. What he's done for us, that, that his, his broken body was once for all on the cross. And that's still true today as it was the first day he got saved. And That his shed blood was for us and for our healing. Yes, for our salvation and, 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 and all, but also to heal us, to make us, give us the ability to be obedient to God. To be born again, to have that spirit revived, to be able to have fellowship with God. The distance that was between us and the Lord ever since the garden, we had lambs and goats and bulls that sort of bridged that gap, that sort of brought us closer, but never took away our sins. This is the one that took away our sins so that we have that fellowship like Adam and Eve had again. Walking in the cool of the day with the Lord, having fellowship with his spirit and our spirit, being able to commune with him, to talk with him. That's what this is about, to remind us of that given so much, you, you know, not to be too flowery, but Psalm 27 is just such a sweet, it's very sweet, you know, I like to wrestle with Bo, like to throw him around a little bit, he likes it when I do that, but sometimes I get a little ambitious or a little, whatever, I figured that's where we're going with this, let's wrestle a little harder or whatever, and he did not like that. And I lock him down or something, or I try to let him to lock me down, but he won't lock me down, so I lock him down and he you know. It's not what I want. I just want to hang out a little bit, I wanna rest a little bit, but I don't want to like learn anything. I don't wanna learn, Dad, you know. <laughs> and I know what he wants. He just wants that sweet fellowship with me, and sometimes it's rough and tumble a little bit, but not too much. All that to say is it reminds me of myself with the Lord. I, I, yeah, you know, let's wrestle through the scripture. Well, no, not, not that much, you know. He's very gentle. God is very sweet. He's a very sweet father. He's very powerful. He's all powerful, very strong. But he's also, he sent Jesus to show us, this is what I'm like. You've never seen me or experienced me, so let me come in human form and express to you how I am. Because you guys are all talking about me like you know me, but I'm going to show up and explain myself to you by living with you. And he's washing people's feet, and he's ministering to people, and he's crying, and he's feeding, and he's giving Matthew a hard time, you know, the tax collector, I mean Matthew's a tax collector who came to know the Lord and he's teaching parables about tax collectors you know uh, and Matthew's like I'm right here I'm right here in the room you know there's a playfulness about him there's a he's the gladdest man that ever lived the bible says Jesus was the gladdest man acquainted with grief and sorrow but the gladdest man that ever lived really and so much so that when everybody had forsaken him and nobody was looking at him like that, like we're supposed to, he still went to the cross and died on the cross for our sins. Because you knew that's what we needed. I call you friends. You may not think of me as a friend right now, but I know that I'm your friend. And I'm going to die on the cross for you so that you can be my friends, so that you can have fellowship with me, so that you can be born again and have everlasting life. That's what this is. And so I want you to eat and drink this bread until the day you go home to be with the Lord to remind you of who I am to you. Who I say I am to you, Jesus says. You know, So it's a sweet time. This psalm is a sweet psalm. Our God is a sweet God. Gentle, compassionate, long-suffering. Gentle, <laughs> loving. All these things. Joyful. And we have that in him. Full. We're absolutely full. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this bread and this cup that you've given to us to remind us of your broken body and your shed blood. If that was your expression of your love for us, that we would know how much you loved us. You said you loved us, but you showed us how much you loved us by taking on a burden that was never yours to take. You took our burden. That was our responsibility. And you placed it on yourself. And we thank you for that this morning. We honor you for that this morning. Help us to understand it better, uh, to feel it deeper, but then also to live it for other people around us, that we might have that and express that same kind of love for those around us, taking on their responsibilities into our lives, to relieve them of heavy burdens in their lives, to be whatever we can be for them. That's our heart. We thank you for this reminder this morning. We, We consider us reminded. In Jesus' name, amen. See you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for speaking to our hearts, not just to our brains, not just to our eyes reading over the words, but you spoke to our hearts. You ministered to us. You served us this morning with your word. We thank you for that. We receive it with gladness um, and with meekness. We want to be doers of your word now. Help us to do your word this week, Lord. to find that hiding place, to seek you out for our fullness and our contentment, to let you wash over us, to let your light come into our lives, to let all these things happen that we know you've commanded and asked and tell us and advise us. This is what's best. We receive that this morning as what's best. Bless these folks as they go today. We pray that you'd relieve burdens, help them. Thank you for all the graduations that are taking place and parties that'll be here this afternoon and. Um, all the accomplishments and, and all. And, um, we thank you for the health that we have. Um, we thank you even for the grief that we go through. Um, as it, it, it sometimes cuts a, a deeper channel for joy to fill later. And um, we thank you for that, God. Um, just pray a, a special blessing upon these people this morning that have taken this time to be with you and to worship you.